Gilboa, you'll remember the story of King Saul and his demise at the, with the Philistines that he died in, uh, on that mountain when he went into battle. And the thing that triggered my thought about Mount Gilboa, and, and Ellie was in the bus with me, so every time something was mentioned, I went into a historical diatribe. Like, I got so excited. I was like, I'd start talking all the time about, and she's like, dad, 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 dad. Okay. You know, and I'm like, and I and I love that. But I, I remember sitting there, we passed a sign that said Endor. And I thought, oh, there's an Endor somebody said there's an Endor Scotland. And there is an Endor Scotland. But but there was also a village called Endor. And Saul met his demise when he went and consulted with the medium or the sorcerer in that village. And we we as a people have to stand in principle on power that we actually seek the Lord. Why? Because we know that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, and princi- but, but principalities and powers. There is a spiritual battle over Dundee. Can anybody name a few things that Dundee's struggling with right this moment? Anybody throw anything out there? Drugs. Poverty. Gambling. Housing problems, right? Yeah? Joblessness. You know, I I got a phone call from the BBC while I was on the way in the train, on the way to London to fly out to Israel, and the man on the phone said to me, can you, Reverend McConnell, can you tell me all about the the happenings last night in Kirkton? And I didn't know, because I had been whisked away by the Lord. And I didn't know. And I said, I can't tell you anything because I wasn't there. Let me share something with you. Those moments in which we we need to recognize the enemy, we don't, it doesn't take, shouldn't take us that much to recognize that the enemy is playing havoc. And what night did that happen on? Halloween, right? The night in which what? People set aside restraint of God for the sake of their own glory so that they can be and chase the darkness. You want to win a battle? I can tell you how to win a battle. At least the Bible can tell you how to win a battle. Because Saul didn't know how to win a battle. Saul, Saul got to the point in which he couldn't trust in the Lord anymore. He trusted Samuel. We learned that in chapter 13. He, Samuel told him to sit and wait for me to come. And what did he do? Well, it says here, he waited seven days to the appointed time of Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from him. Saul depended upon the people around him. He looked to all the people around him. He looked at them, and he said, okay, this is where I find my validation. How many of you find your validation in what people say about you? Let me share something with you. The answer should be no. You should find your validation first in God. He's looking around. How many people do I actually have? Taking inventory. When he saw the people scattering from him, he did what he shouldn't have done. He went and made an offering. And, and he mustered all the people that he could find. He goes and he, he said, that, it says this, that he forced himself to make a burnt offering. He had stepped out of God's plan. 
God has plans for each one of us in this room. There isn't one person in here that God doesn't have a specific plan for. He's got ideas about. He's got. He's singing love over you. He's saying, "I've got this for you. I want to." And it may may feel like that's not happening right now, but yes, it is happening. And and what does he do? He does it to himself. He says, "You know what? I'm going to force myself. I'm going to go make the burnt offering." He steps outside the plan that Samuel had told him. Wait for me. They that wait upon the Lord, what do they do? They renew their, what, strength. Why? Because it's not your strength, it's God's strength inside of you. And, and he steps away from the plan of the Lord. Now, there's something interesting about Saul. Saul was told to be the most fair and handsome man of the land, right? He was taller than everybody else. Right? He was he was he he had he came from wealth, he had some money, his father was quite rich, he was from the right tribe, he had everything going for him, but the one thing that he didn't have going for him was a faith and trust in God. He knew God in the wrong manner. He knew God through Samuel. You should never be looking to man to find your way to God. Shouldn't be looking to me, shouldn't be looking to anybody. Should be looking to God Himself to make a way and to give you your identity. Why? Because you are, as Simon has said, a royal priesthood. You are a chosen people who what? Have an inheritance in God. Live in that. Walk in that. What does that look like? I'm not sure. It'll play out differently in each one of our lives. But I do know something of this. That Saul went this way, but Guy, he had a son. So often it's the next generation that actually take up the baton and do the work. They're the ones who step into the role. And I love, I love Jonathan, the story of Jonathan and his armor bearer. Because while I was sitting there looking at the mountain of Michmash and the valley and the context of everything, I was sitting there thinking, Jonathan ran through this valley. And he looked up at what seemed to be an impossible task. And he said, I'm going to trust you, Lord. And I think there's something beautiful about that. But if you want to win in the Lord, you want to win, look at what he says in verse 14. On one day, Jonathan, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, his armor bearer, come, let us go up to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. See, his father was busy. His father was doing other things. We're told here that he was taking inventory. Right? He was trying to figure out how many men do we really have for the battle. And then you have this other spirit in Jonathan. And Jonathan says, I'm going after it. I'm going I'm I'm to take this on. And I, I was imagining myself, what would happen if I ran up the hill at Michmash? I, w- I was thinking, oh, that would that'd be interesting. And you've got one army over here and one more army over here. And we're told that Saul is sitting at the pomegranate tree. The pomegranate tree. Can you imagine? He's sitting outside the battlefield on the outskirts. If you want to get into the battle, get into the battle. Right? I love what Jonathan does here. Saul's sitting by Gibeah at the pomegranate. Well, this says cave, but it's actually tree. translates tree. At Migron, the people who were with him were about 600 men, including Ahijah, the son of Ahitub, Ichabod's brother. Ichabod literally means without honor. Without honor. 
the son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the priest of the Lord of Shiloh, wearing an ephod. Let me share something with you about this from the Jewish perspective. They were the institution. He's got the ephod on. He's got this breastplate that somehow symbolizes that God is with them. And yet, they're far away from the battle. Church, we can be the same type of people. We wear a breastplate that God is with us, and yet we are way away from the battles that, that are raging all around us. You mention the battles all around us. And we could sit by and actually look and go, you know what, I don't see that. I don't see that. I don't like that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to avoid it. And that's what Saul is doing. Saul's counting numbers, avoiding the real battles that we face. The real issue is that the Philistine army, an uncircumcised army, you know what uncircumcised literally means? They have foreskins. They are not in the covenant people of God. They are the enemies of God. And they're standing there taunting the people of God. Have you ever felt that way? Does the world taunt the church? It does. It does. And if you are part of that body, guess what? You'll get taunted. This is why Jesus said, Blessed are you when you are persecuted and spoken evil against for righteousness' sake. Righteousness matters before the Lord. And it's interesting because he's here, he's there, he's standing there. And then all of a sudden, Jonathan in verse 6, if you're there, said to the young man who carries his armor, Come. Let us go up to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us. Nothing can hinder the Lord, saving by many or by few. Let me share something with you. He's got the right, right perspective. Perspective in our minds actually really does matter. The way that you approach tasks and outcomes, you can either approach it from a humanistic point of view, that I can work it out in my own flesh, or you can trust in the Lord that he's going to work through you and in you to see the task completed. And you might not know what the end product is, but yet the, the Lord is working in you. That happens all the time, does it not? Think about it this way. We've got, we don't know how many kids are going to arrive tonight, do we? But we have, we have, we have set in our heart come, let's go, let's go take the initiative and get out there and do something. If you're taking away applications from Jonathan's heart, he's, in, he's got initiative. I don't know what the outcome's going to be, but I do know this, that God is for us and he's not against us. And it says this, God will work it out. God will work it out. It says it right there. The Lord will work for us. The literal translation is God will work it out. And I'm listening to this new Maverick City song that Ellie put me on to. Yeah! God will work it out. This thing I know. This thing I see. That God will work it out. Right? Amen? Amen. That's the literal... I think they took it from this verse. God will work it out. I don't know what God needs to do in your life, but guess what? He's going to work it out. He's going to work it out. And, and I find it fascinating. He moves on. And he says this. This is how God works. God doesn't need 50 of us. He doesn't need 600. He needs two. Are you willing to go with me? Are you willing to go with me? I mean, come on. Hey, you know what? 
We need people to go out, maybe street pastors, get out there and do some ministry after all that went on in Kirkton so that we can talk. Oh, I don't know if I can do that. That's not what the armor bearer is saying. I will go where you go. Most important thing in life is that we actually go with people and we go with them. And we do life with them. And when we go together, we go on the same plane that God is God. He's God. You have nothing to fear. If God is with you, what? He will not forsake you. I don't know if we should go. That's not at all what happens here. The armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Do as you wish. Behold, I am with you in heart and soul. Nefesh. I'm in it with you. I will go where you go. This is, this is that same moment of Naomi and Ruth. I will go with you back to, to Bethlehem. I will go back with you. I can't go back to, to my foreign gods. I'm going with you. How many of you know people who just cannot seem to go with God? And they always get dragged back into something else. And you look on at their lives at one point, and then you look on at their lives at another point, and you look on at their lives, and, and they just go from not strength to strength. They go from disaster to disaster to disaster. And you go, gosh, God wants you to come with Him. And sometimes it just takes one person to say, let's go do this thing. Let's go. Let's go. Do you realize that when we went to Norway, we kind of were really like, okay, Lord, what are we doing here? What are we doing? What are we doing? We'd gathered with a few people and they've come, they've come alongside of us. We feel encouraged. Then when we got to Norway, we realized we're really encouraged. Then, then when I was in Israel in Tiberias and right next to the Scots church, yes, I, I went to the Scots hotel, everybody. It's worth going to. And uh, I'm there and I'm sitting there and my friend who actually started Soul Children in the UK drives all the way from Jerusalem because he lived in Jerusalem to come and see me in Tiberias for 20 minutes, 30 minutes to say, you know what? We're going together on this journey. You see, you think I'm living in fear now? No way. I know God's with us. And I know he's going to do something profound. I just don't know what it is yet. Either is Jonathan. So what does Jonathan do? He puts a fleece before the Lord. Then Jonathan says, Behold, we'll cross over to the men. We'll show ourselves to them. Forget about tactics at that point in time. There's no secret, right? Hi, we're here. We're going to attack your garrison. And there's two of them. And you can imagine, they're sitting there thinking, what? And here's what we'll do. We'll put the fleece. Wait until we come see you. We'll stand there in our place and we will not go to them. But if they say, come to us, then we'll go up to the Lord. For the Lord has given them into our hand and this shall be a sign to us. Both of them showed themselves to the garrison in the Philistines. And the Philistines said, look, Hebrews are coming out of their holes. Ever have anybody make fun of you? Everybody ever slander you? Kind of just think you're... Think you're an idiot? Think you're a moron? Think you're strange? That's what they're doing. They're taunting. Look at them. They've come out of their holes, those little, those little people. Remember, Philistines were taller. They're bigger. And then you've got these small little people coming out of their holes. 
like, like rabbits. No, you only have two. And what do they do? They have, they have hidden themselves. They, you, know, you guys hide yourselves from us because you're fearful of us. And what does Jonathan do? What does he do? And the armor bearer, come up to us and we will show you a thing. They say, come on up. And Jonathan says, come up after me for the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. He didn't give it into my hand. He gives it into the hand of Israel. Let me share something with you. The thing that we were intrigued about is that when you go in Israel and you live there, you go into compulsory service in the military. And all these young people are walking around with M M1A4s. And they're, they're joyful and they're there and they're serving. And you know what they're doing? They're thinking of their nation. We have people who work for themselves. And I was intrigued by this because I could see the mindset. It's for, the, it's for Israel. It's not for, it's not for me. This is what Jonathan is saying. Even if I win this garrison, I didn't do this for me. I did it for the Lord. There's a mind shift there. So when, when, when we do things before the Lord, we don't get the credit for it. We don't take the glory for it. If you come forward and go, oh, that was really great. God is great. I'm just one of, one of his many servants being used for God's glory in this city. He's great. And when God becomes great in a city, guess what? You take garrisons. You take ground. But we don't take ground. Why? Because we're so worried about ourselves. That's not Jonathan's heart, and it's not the armor bearer's heart. It's not it. And notice what happens out of this, because they don't know really what's going to happen. But then, then Jonathan climbed on his hands and his feet, and his armor bearer after him. And, and what happens? They fall before Jonathan, and his armor bearer killed them after him. And at the first strike, Jonathan and his armor bearer made and killed about 20 men as within half a furlough's length of an acre of land. That's 330 feet. How big is this, this hall? They are taking ground in hand-to-hand -hand combat for the sake of God. Are you on, what are you doing? Are you on your knees in prayer for the Lord? Are you spending time with God in the sense that you're taking ground for Him? Are you going out into the streets so that people who, who are really struggling in this city can know? Are, are we going to visit house to house so that we can actually say, hey, we've got whole warm hub for you. Come on. Because you know what? God loves you and He cares for you. Come on. Are we doing these things? Why? Because it's not too difficult of a task when we lay it before the Lord and say, I'm going with you. I'm going to do this with you. And I'm not doing it for myself. I'm not doing it for Downfield Mains Church. God forbid we do it for the name of Downfield Mains Church. We do it for Jesus Christ. That's who we do it for, period. Because He's the one worthy of, of all the glory in this city, not us. Nobody. And there's no church that can stand before Him and say, hey, we got it all figured out. Hey, can I get an amen? amen. Yes. You're, you're, yes, thank you for that admission. But what, what happens after this? The garrison and even the raiders trembled and all of a sudden the earth quaked. How does the earth quake based on two people? Well, they're taking ground. They're going forward. We don't go backwards. We go forward. And as you go forward to take the garrison, which is on the hill, you have to go up the hill. Ellie and I ran a hill when we were there. Uh, 
<sighs> I thought I was in shape. I was like, I got up to the top and she didn't crack a sweat. I'm like, pitted out. And I'm like, ah, oh. You know, and the reality is what? We're taking ground. You move forward and it may be tough. I don't know what's going on in your life, but time to take some ground. And you know what? I don't care if it's tough. God doesn't care if it's tough. He expects it to be tough. Guess why? Because we live in a real world. And I don't know where the, the, the idea got sold to you that somehow life is going to be easy. Take ground. And you know, the irony of Jonathan and his armor bearer who take ground, cause confusion, see the enemy flee, then you've got Saul still taking inventory. Do you think we really should go out and uh, go door-to-door? Uh, -door? Do you, do you, uh, you know, what will they think if we wear these little jackets that say, you know, pastor on them? Are they, they going to think we're weird? Um, uh, you know, uh, how many people do we really need to do that ministry? Uh, you know, we need a lot of people. Uh, we just don't have enough people. Is that the way we live? Is that why Jesus died on the cross for us? Is that why he came to earth so that we could actually live out a life? And I want to say this to you if you're young. Don't be like the world. You'll waste your whole life. Follow God. Get saved. Follow after him. Run with him. Don't look back. Put the plow down and don't ever look back. Don't ever look back because you know what? The world needs people like you. They don't need more people like the other world. It doesn't matter. It's worthless. It's pointless. You know what? The last thing we need in this life is people who look like the world, who don't believe that the enemy can actually be taken. I'm going to close with this. Verse 21, the Hebrews who had been with the Philistines before that time had gone up before that time and who'd gone up with them into the camp, even they returned to be with the Israelites. If you would just understand that if you follow after God, you will encourage people to follow after God. People are fearful, but when you step out and you follow after God, they turned to be with the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. They had actually gone to be with the Philistines because they were thinking like the world. We have a lot of Christians who came to Christ or did whatever they did. They've gone back into the world and they think like the Philistines, when in all reality they're looking for Christians who actually have conviction to go, you know what, let's walk with God. And what will happen is they will feel the conviction and then they'll go after it. And so what do they do? They turn. How many of your kids you want turned to the Lord? They're looking at you. They're looking at people all around them. And they're wondering... Are they like Jonathan? Are they like an armor bearer? Likewise, 
All the men of Israel who had hidden themselves in the hill country, the Shevlah of Ephraim, heard that the Philistines were fleeing. They too followed hard after them into the battle. You know what? Be an inspiration for other people if we're going to be takeaway applications, right? Take the initiative. Use everything to your advantage. Figure out your advantage. Some of you have relationships you need to leverage for the sake of the Lord. Use those leverage relationships for the sake of God, right? The armor bearer, you're going to come with me. Know, know what you're getting into. You don't have to know all the outcome. You just have to know what you're getting into. He had to know that, hey, I'm trusting God. I'm going I'm to put a fleece before the Lord, and I'm going to hear his voice. And when I hear what I, I believe God is saying, I go what? Forward. One of the greatest things you can do in Christ is to be obedient. When, when Jesus Christ called his first disciples, what did he say to them? Come. Follow me. And they all had a choice to make. They put down their nets. They put away their old lives. And they said, I'm going after you. I'm going to follow you. Find a confidant. Find a friend. Find somebody that will go with you the extra mile. You can go one mile. That's what Jesus commanded us to do. But are you going the second mile? Are you going the second mile? We need a world of Christians that go the second mile. Because then when that happens, everything changes. So I'm going to ask if you would, if you could play, I would like to, I would like to, um, I would like to pray for us. It would be foolish of me to actually ask you to go the second mile if I didn't give you an opportunity to go the extra mile. And I know there's one way in which we can just sit and say, we had a great service, it was wonderful, let's sit here and just be together. We're going to have teas and coffees very shortly and that'll be great. But that's not what God is calling us to today. I believe that God is calling us back to a rededication of ourselves into Him. He's calling us to actually move into that place where I'm in the valley, I'm seeing the garrison, I'm seeing the army, I'm seeing the overwhelming aspect, but God is going to be with me and He's, going to, he's asking me to come. And so I want to ask you, I want to ask you, is there something in your life that you've held back from the Lord in which he's called you to something, and yet you, you have kind of hidden it away. When I was in the Garden of Gethsemane, I had 30 minutes uninterrupted time to be with Jesus in the place in which he spent his last temptation. And the Lord took me to Psalm 51. And I read through that psalm, and I had tears in my eyes as I sat there repenting of my sin. Because that's where it begins. I missed the mark. I want to follow you. I want to be with you. And, and, and David is clear in that psalm that, that you would purge me with hyssop. That you would take and, and free me from myself. We don't need Saul moments anymore. We need Jonathan moments. And if that's you and you're saying, well, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this, I want to I do this. I want to invite you um, to come forward. And I believe that the anointing of the Lord is still sufficient for today. And when I was in the garden tomb, 
the Lord said for me to get for the church anointing oil. And I want, I want you to anoint those that really need you. Um, that really are, are looking to, 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 to have an anointing, to go after God. And you know what? Anoint them and pray for them. And that's what we need to do here today. Before we leave this place, in the last five to ten minutes that we have together, I'm going to invite you, while, while Simon plays a little bit, and then he'll go into the last song, but I'm going to invite you to come forward to be anointed and prayed for. And I want to invite some of the leaders of the church to come up and pray for you. And I, I want to say this, that it's time. It's time to come. It's time to come. Don't let your bottom be, be stuck to the seat at this point. Don't be Saul sitting by the pomegranate tree. Come. And receive the anointing that he has laid for you since the foundation of the earth. All right? So we're, we're, I'm just going to let you play, Simon, Ellie. Um, and then as you see fit, go into the last song. But I want to invite you, if, there's, if there are people that want to come forward, now is the time to come forward. You need healing. You need, you need restoration. You need to get saved so that you become a Christian because you just haven't been walking that way. You need the Lord. Um, you, you say, hey, I've, I've wanted to tackle this task, but God, I, I just haven't had anybody to go with me. And you're saying, I really am praying for somebody to go with me on this one. You know what? Come forward. This is that moment. This is the space that we're going to do it. And we're going to see the life of this city changed because we made those decisions now. Now. So I want to invite you to come forward. Those of you who are leaders, please come up and just stand here. Uh, this is an open venue at this point in time. This is an open venue. Come to the Wailing Wall. Come to, the where, come to where you meet with God. Come to that space. Come to the wall. Come and lay your requests before the Lord.